Chapter Three, Part Two of Our Search for a Wilderness by Mary Blair Beebe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Here in our wilderness, we found an unexpected home. Through the kindness of our cordial friends in Trinidad, Mr. Eugene Andre and Mr. Ellis Grell, we had letters to the men in charge of the Pitch Lake at Guanoco and it was to this great lake that the tiny settlement of guanoco owed its being as soon as we reached the wharf a young venezuelan came on board introducing himself as senor bernardo lugo y escobar one of the officials of the pitch lake company and explaining that mr grell had written him that we might possibly come to guanoco and that we were to be entertained at the headquarters for as long as we chose to stay mr lugo was most urgent in his hospitality and i knew well of what the sloop dinner would consist maestro and i would hold a perfectly futile consultation in which we would decide upon the only possible menu funche which is the venezuelan name for cornmeal mush dried pea soup and cocoa I must explain that the lack of variety in our larder was due to the fact that we had expected to be able to supplement our canned goods with fresh fish and game, both of which proved difficult to obtain, the latter because of the impossibility in this vast swamp of ever finding the game after it was shot. The experience taught us the useful lesson which every camper and explorer learns sooner or later sometimes alas too late never to depend upon the game of the country but always to plan your provisions as if game did not exist then when one gets it it becomes an unexpected luxury but to return to my visions of a good dinner in the preparation of which i had no part or responsibility perhaps there would also be the luxury of a real bath i was roused from these attractive reflections by the voice of the captain politely refusing mr lugo's invitation for the night and saying that we would not go ashore until the next day whereupon i diplomatically remarked in english that mr lugo might not understand that i thought mr lugo's feelings would be hurt if we refused and as long as we were to go the next day and there was nothing to be gained by spending the night on the sloop why not gratify him by going at once and so it came about that in a few minutes more we were at headquarters as the house was quite invisible from the water we had imagined that we were to go to one of the thatched huts which we had seen from the river to our surprise around the base of the hill we found ourselves going up a pretty palm-bordered walk which led to a low massive fort-like building in the broad open hall were comfortable rocking chairs in striking contrast to the sloop on which we had taken turns sitting on the one stool which the little craft possessed in the patio was a table laid for dinner with a big black trinidad negro bringing in steaming dishes there is no hospitality anywhere quite equal to that of the wilderness 
your host does not arrange your visit from the saturday to the monday fitting you in between a multitude of other engagements a wilderness welcome is as genial and inevitable as the tropical sunshine your visit is an event a milestone in the long road of lonely months of exile months which sometimes lengthen into years our very interesting friend mr eugene andre of trinidad told us that on one of his many orchid hunting expeditions he had chanced to land at a certain godforsaken little port on the west coast of colombia mr andre had wondered why the fare to this port from panama should be thirty dollars while the return passage was one hundred dollars the problem was solved after he had seen the port desolate barren inaccessible and fever and insect ridden one might be induced to pay thirty dollars to get there provided one knew not what manner of place it was but to get away one would pay any sum and gladly so it is that the little coastwise steamboat company calmly demands one hundred dollars to return the unfortunate traveler to panama and gets it at this forlorn spot there were stationed two young men i forget now in what capacity who for many months had not seen an intelligent human being into the empty monotony of their lives mr andre appeared it mattered not to those lonely young men who he was nor where he came from his welcome was stay with us stay a year or ten years we know all about each other we've talked about everything until there is nothing left to say we even know how much sugar we each like in our tea and who our great-grandmothers were and who we think wrote shakespeare's plays and we are so bored and so glad to see a new face thus it is that everywhere in the south american wilderness the english-speaking stranger is made welcome by his kind and we found guanoco no exception to this rule the pretty spanish greeting is the house is yours and during our stay at the pitch lake the headquarters became really ours we were given the best room the servants were put at our disposal and best of all we were perfectly free to come and go as we pleased and with everything done to facilitate our work all this we owed only to the instructions of mr ellis grell who was then financing the pitch lake company and to the kindness of mr lynch and mr stout two young west indians employed by the company we were tired that first night at guanoco the night before had been a hard one sailing all night long with the boom swinging back and forth and making impossible the hanging of our mosquito nets all through the night the captain and his crew worked down the narrow river the captain skillfully guided the sloop in the darkness of a moonless night following the line of the trees against the sky to mark the channel his commanding old voice rang from stern to bow the orders being there repeated by the mate to the sailors who were towing us and who paused in the wild melody which they chanted through that wonderful night 
to listen and obey it was a difficult and dangerous task the guiding of that sloop down so narrow and winding a river and even the unruly crew were obedient that night rendering the homage which in time of danger the ignorant unconsciously yield to a superior intelligence when we wondered at the captain's confidence he replied in his deep voice ah yes but i am old here and i know these conyos as i do my house and indeed here the curtain had risen upon his life and here it was likely to fall at the end of the last act when finally quite exhausted we had laid down upon the deck to sleep it was to fall into so profound a slumber that the mosquitoes devoured us unmolested in spite of our head nets which proved insufficient protection so it was that on the first night at guanoco we were very tired i sat lazily rocking in the cool evening breeze anointing my irritating bites with tango a preparation dependent upon faith cure for its healing properties and listening to the desultory talk of the young men the conversation was desultory however only so long as the venezuelan element of the household was present on this occasion that element was represented by the young mr lugo who had met us at the wharf after he had gone out on some errand the story of pitch lake was poured into our interested ears it was a story of intrigue and revolution and treason quite worthy of some medieval court first there was the passive venezuelan possession then the active enterprising money-making reign of the north american having as its natural result the jealousy of castro his oppression and injustice to the american company their rebellion in which they aided a great revolution against castro his revenge being to seize the property and put it in charge of venezuelans then came the departure of the american company which had done so much to develop the pitch lake followed by the arrival of the venezuelans appointed by the government men who knew just about as much about managing a great pitch lake as they did about guiding an aeroplane we were told of the time long before the advent of the lugo family when for weeks it was necessary to live always on the alert with revolver ever ready for defense when the very men with whom one sat down at table were capable of attempting to poison the food in order to free themselves of english-speaking men who might perhaps witness some ugly deed of treachery or defalcation this is the very long story in a nutshell we began then to understand why the house was so fort-like in structure it had been built to withstand assault only a few months before our visit it had been attacked by a party of revolutionists who hoped to find money in the company safe and five men had been killed and several injured this thrilling tale was told in the emotionless matter-of-fact way in which one might describe the moves in a game of chess from the moment our sloop sailed out of the harbor of port of spain the memory of the old familiar everyday world had seemed to grow dimmer and dimmer 
was it possible that there really was such a place as new york city with its clanging street cars its trains and subways and elevated roads thronged with people in mass all as much alike as an army of ants at that very hour the new york theatres were pouring their gay crowds into the brilliantly lighted streets how far away it all seemed down there in the great primeval forest of another continent we walked out under the stars to the edge of the forest black and mysterious teeming with the hidden life which we were so eager to study our world for the present was this forest wilderness stretching unbroken for mile upon mile with only the twinkling lights of guanoco to remind us of human habitations i dreamed that night of being stabbed in the back by a howling monkey while the safe of the pitch lake company was broken into by a band of shrieking macaws on the morning after our arrival at guanoco we sorrowfully said good-bye to the josefa jacinta as we watched her sail away we consoled ourselves by planning another and a longer trip on her a trip which never took place looking back after almost two years i realized that life can bring me few experiences more full of interest and charm than those days on a little venezuelan sloop exploring the mysterious untrodden mangroves how could you enjoy it i am often asked but the trifling discomforts were all in the day's work and more than compensated by the beauty and freedom and wonder of it all they served to make us know that it was not all a dream our days at guanoco began early and were full to overflowing of interest and work in the heat of midday we pressed flowers skinned the birds and wrote up our journals but in spite of being so busy we found time to get a little into the atmosphere of the human life here is the daily program at the lake of pitch this little outpost of humanity deep hidden in the tropical jungle at daybreak the group of sheds and thatched huts gives up a horde of trinidadian negroes great black fellows giants in strength children in mind amid a perfect medley of excitement and uproar breakfast is prepared we hear sounds which must mean at least the violent death of several and as one listens to the shrieks and groans the imagination easily supplies the terrible blows and struggles but a closer look only shows one of these great children down on his knees calling on everything which occurs to him or enters his vision to witness that he did not steal the sixpence from napoleon of which someone has accused him perhaps in jest yet all this is calmness compared to the later rush for the best cars to use in the day's work it would delight a sophomore's heart to see the melee but somehow all is straightened out and off go the hand trucks crawling along the rickety rails out over the lake like beads sliding along a string here a car has reached the end of the line the negro selects a place fairly clear of vegetation takes his broad adze 
and shears away the upper few inches of roots and mold then with deep swift strokes he outlines a big chunk of the shiny black gum cuts it loose and carries it on his head to his car so malleable is the pitch that by the time he has half filled the little iron truck the pitch has settled down and filled all interstices he trundles back the car and dumps it into one of the larger wooden trucks which will take it to guanoco he now receives a check which is redeemable for fifteen cents and the first link in the commercialization of the pitch is finished along the wavering line of temporary rails over which the hand cars are pushed back and forth are dozens of grave-like holes those nearer the railroad end are smooth-edged and filled with soft pitch on which as yet no vegetation has taken root further along they are filled with water and still further we find them in the process of being excavated the men dig down until they have reached a depth of five or six feet and then start in a new place the hole is filled by the first rain water bugs fly to the little pool frogs lay their eggs in it queer fish wriggle their way to it and for a brief space it supports a considerable aquatic life then new soft pitch begins to ooze up and in a few more weeks the plug of viscid black gum has reached the level of the ground and the scar is soon healed over by a thin growth of grass in the rainy season the holes fill at once with water and indeed the whole plain is immersed to the depth of a foot or more then the men have to work up to their waists in water chopping beneath the surface prying the pieces loose with their toes and tearing the chunks off by taking long breaths and reaching far down for a few seconds at a time when we cross our asphalt streets and smell the tarry odor and feel its softness under a midsummer sun let us think of the strange lake in the tropical wilderness the table talk at headquarters was often most amusing torrents of spanish eloquence and gesticulations kept our english ears ever on the alert to follow the meaning and our sense of humor ever under strict control to preserve well-bred gravity when such statements were made as venezuela leads not only all the south american countries but all those of north america as well in literature art science and commerce when our general blank went to new york the greatest ovation ever paid any general in the world was given him new york remained amazed once only did i look amused and i have never quite recovered from my mortification at thus disgracing myself whatever the faults of the spaniard may be he never smiles when he is not intended to not even at the laughable mistakes which we foreigners make when we are learning his beautiful language i try to say in extenuation of my unseemly mirth that the spaniard has no sense of humor and that we should very much prefer having him laugh at our mistakes and letting us correct them but all to no purpose i know that i did not behave like a well-conducted venezolana and nothing can alter that fact 
the three venezuelans had been put in charge of the pitch lake because their sister's husband's niece had power in the court of castro among their regular duties they included singing airs from the operas reading don quixote and the caracas newspapers and playing dominoes they had provided themselves with elaborate costumes for the role they carried big revolvers and wore huge green and white cork helmets khaki riding clothes putties spurs and carried riding whips there was not a horse within fifty miles no horse even had there been one could penetrate the tiny forest trails about guanoco in the dancing sunlight and shadows and the orchid fragrant air it was hard to picture spilt blood and intrigue and treachery and harder still to prophesy the sad times that were to come upon guanoco yet while we were there the air teemed with revolutionary rumors the jefe civil as the chief magistrate was called was off day after day investigating first one suspicion and then another returning utterly spent with the exhaustion of unresting days and nights upon the trail revolutionists had attempted to land guns on the nearby coast there had been a skirmish and several men had been killed all the available guns and ammunition were gotten together and every night the doors were barred securely for what the revolutionists chiefly needed was money and should there be an uprising in northeastern venezuela the pitch lake headquarters would be the first point of attack it was in charge of castro sympathizers there might be large sums of money in the company's safe and it was practically unprotected in the meantime diplomatic relations between our united states and venezuela had been severed and one morning a united states battleship was discovered lying quietly in the harbor of la guayra the numbers of la constitucional a month old when they reached us were beginning to talk of war and to boast the ease with which venezuela would erase the united states of america from the face of the globe bitter things were said about the sister republic in the north and there we were living on the bone of contention itself it was about this time that i began to see the advisability of being more than ordinarily civil and so it happened that i was led into playing cards for the first and only time for money and that on a sunday we had been working almost incessantly and i had begun to feel that even if it was to mr grell that we were indebted for the hospitality it was not quite nice for us to appear only at feeding time particularly as our long days out of doors gave us such appalling appetites so on this occasion when i was asked to make a fourth at cards i saw no way out of it moreover the battleship lay in the harbor of la guayra and my countrymen were in sad disfavor in venezuela william had ignominiously deserted and gone to bed so there was only one sleepy little woman left to uphold the honor of a great nation the game was siete y media seven and a half i forget the rules now i only remember that they seemed very intricate as explained to me in spanish 
fortunately for me the stakes were low but i steadily lost all the time grano por grano la gallina come quoted mr lugo grain by grain the hen eats later he remarked how he hated to win from the senorita but the senorita observed that he hated it much as the famous walrus wept for the oysters while he sorted out those of the largest size holding his pocket handkerchief before his streaming eyes i was woefully tired and sleepy i did not at all know the etiquette of gambling and i thought the loser must not be a quitter even if the extent of her losses was only dos reales or twenty-five cents so i played on until at midnight the game was declared over it is well that virtue is its own reward as it has no other for i was told the next morning by a husband who had had a perfectly good night's sleep that i was a very foolish person indeed to sit up playing cards with those men and that the loser could always stop it was the winner who must not propose it the negroes from the pitch lake always came down on saturday nights and serenaded us with wild creole airs and at the sound of the quaterns and violins huge hairy tarantulas would come forth from their hiding places in our rooms and creep briskly here and there over walls and floor we were greatly interested in this effect of the vibrations of sound but we never bothered the great creatures in their strange tarantelles and they paid no attention to us the venomous effect of the bites of all these eight or hundred-legged beings is greatly exaggerated and there is absolutely no serious danger to a healthy person with good red blood in his veins in some of the half-starved rum-drinking natives the scratch of a pin would induce blood poisoning labor was easily secured in guanoco the morning after our arrival we expressed a wish to employ a boy to act as attendant carrying camera gun butterfly net etc when we went on our long tramps one of the young men at headquarters went to the door and called muchacho and at once a small boy appeared i should have judged his age to be between eleven and twelve but he himself did not know he said his grandmother was keeping his age a charming idea is that venezuelan custom of having some responsible member of the family keep all the ages think of being able to say truthfully that you really do not know how old you are but then a venezuelan woman never confesses to more than twenty-seven no matter what may have been the flight of time our small servant's name proved to be maximiliano romero and with supreme self-possession boldly spitting to the right and left he professed himself willing to enter our service like a true venezuelan he used expectoration to punctuate all his remarks what a quaint little figure he was topped by a huge straw hat with a high-peaked crown the hat the work of the little brown hands of max himself for he was a hat maker by profession his face was alert but very grave he rarely smiled but when he did it was in no half-hearted way but with the abandon of childish glee 
i found myself devoting a good deal of valuable time to trying to bring into being that charming smile of maximiliano's one never knew just what would touch the right chord once he went off into gales of merriment at the escape of a lizard which we were trying to photograph he always saw the funny side of our mishaps max showed plainly in what esteem he held naturalists the first day he went out with us he was neatly dressed in dark blue jeans when he appeared on the second morning we did not recognize him a small ragamuffin stood before us stamping like a pony to drive away the flies which hovered about his ankles his clothes were a mass of rags it was impossible to say what had been the original color or material max had taken our measure and decided that people who tramped through the bush as we did were not worthy of anything better than rags sometimes in the jungle we would meet indian women who living far in the interior were on their way to guanoco to buy machetes fish hooks and other articles of civilization they would always stop and make friends with us with childlike curiosity asking where we came from and why we wanted birds and lizards and butterflies and murmuring the words dear to every woman's heart in all lands que jovencita which literally translated is what a little young thing very simple-hearted are these poor indian women and so hard are their lives that at a very early age do they cease to be jovencita we would often meet the wandering tribes of guarauno indians who live nearly always upon the march carrying all their worldly possessions upon their backs and sleeping wherever night happens to find them they very rarely knew even a word of spanish and shunned any intercourse with strangers scorning the inventions of civilization and using the poisoned arrows of their ancestors one sunday morning one of the laborers at the nearby pitch lake bearing the pious name of jose de jesus zamoro came into headquarters to invite us to a dance that afternoon at his house the house of zamoro had nothing particularly to recommend it as a ballroom for the floor was of dirt the ceiling low and the walls windowless but it was crowded the air stifling and the dancers dripping with perspiration the music was wild and strange the man who shook the maracas an instrument consisting of two gourds filled with dried seeds which is shaken in time to the music often breaking into a weird song making up the words as he went along with some joke about each dancer as the songster's zeal waxed high he described himself as being so great that where he stood the earth trembled between dances the lady's last partners were supposed to take them into the next room where drinks were for sale this was the explanation of zamoro's zeal for dances music and dance hall were free but a substantial profit came from the drinks the ball gowns had but one beauty that of originality there was always an unfortunate hiatus between bodices and skirts which was partially concealed by the long straight black hair which hung down the backs of the women 
the shoes were in a piteous condition never the right size very seldom mates and not infrequently both were for the same foot but all the skirts had trains and all the ears bore earrings we were told that these women often danced all day and all night until they became perfectly dazed their feet moving mechanically in time to the music of the national dance the haropa which is a cross between a clog dance and a waltz we saw dancing the women whose curiara had so narrowly escaped a fatal collision with our sloop in the guarapiche the captain had said they were leaving maturin to operate some speculation in guanoco perhaps even to find husbands and here among so many men for the population of guanoco was chiefly composed of men employed at the lake surely there was hope even for adventuresses so black and uncouth as these here also we met one of guanoco's most amusing characters a big black trinidad negro he was full of the superiority of one who had seen the world for he had once been to england as stateroom steward on one of the big steamers he now dropped his h's called his wife lady mckay and on sundays wore a monocle it was twilight as we walked home through the little settlement and one of the hut's two little naked babies were playing rockaby in the great curved sheaths which protect the blossom of the moriche or eta palm at another a child came out and sang a little spanish song for us all about her sins and the confession she must make to the priest the refrain being mi penitencia mi penitencia and she sang it with her little hands clasped and her head devoutly bowed a few coins made the wee penitent superlatively happy her mother must have taught her the song for in guanoco there was no priest no school no doctor the two young west indians at headquarters neither much more than twenty years old officiated at all funerals being catholic or protestant in spanish or english as the case demanded they prescribed for all the diseases from the prevalent fever to the woman who was suffering greatly but could give no more definite description of her trouble than that she had a pain that walked i could never understand the fever so common at guanoco for i never knew a place more free from mosquitoes and from insects of every description we were continually in the sun and often in the rain yet we both kept in perfect health the women of the village had converted a small open shed into a chapel with an altar on which were all the offerings they could make a few candles some bits of gilt paper and tinsel a rude wooden cross and a wretched little chromo of the virgin here as we passed we saw the women kneeling for where else could they take their troubles at last our venezuelan experiences were a thing of the past and we were homeward bound leaving behind us the dear delightful never know what's going to happen life and realizing as our ship cut her way through the countless knots of dashing waves that as maximiliano had said with a shake of his head when we laughingly asked him if he did not want to go with us está tan lejos 
it is so far much has happened at guanoco since the days of our visit very soon after our departure castro fearing the smouldering revolutionary plots in trinidad ordered all the ports of eastern venezuela closed later came the deadly bubonic plague sealing for many months all the ports of the unfortunate country then indeed trouble descended upon poor little guanoco it was an essentially non-agricultural part of the country the one industry had been the digging of pitch the company's boat plying between guanoco and trinidad having brought all necessary supplies now with all communication cut off the people were in a piteous condition in the revolution of the wheel of fate which whirls so rapidly in venezuela the lugo family had been deposed and a new venezuelan administrator appointed in their place having known the lugos i like to think that they would have been less heartless than their successor who so the report goes sold what supplies there were to the starving people at cruelly exorbitant prices no matter how much one may love nature one cannot help feeling how unmoved she is in the face of suffering human beings might starve and sicken and die at guanoco but the sunshine would be just as warm and glowing and the wind in the palm trees just as musical as ever with the cutting off of communication between venezuela and trinidad captain trujillo's occupation was gone the josefa jacinta no longer plied busily back and forth between port of spain and maturin driving a brisk trade in hammocks groceries and hides and so at last she passed from the possession of captain trujillo to that of some more prosperous trader who could afford to wait for the reopening of commerce for a year our old captain watched his little vessel guided out of the harbor of port of spain with a strange hand at the helm and a strange voice in command then one day she sailed away never to return but to be run aground and lost on a desolate and lonely part of the venezuelan coast what became of her new captain and crew we never heard we knew only that the josefa jacinta was lost and that we could never sail her again except on dream canos in a phantom wilderness End of chapter three